0: want to welcome our satellites who uh, are watching us and with us in homes around the world. I like to say that because it makes me feel important. Uh, but I want to say a couple things about this uh, st- uh, devotional guide that you have. Um, really it is written with the purpose of giving you kind of tracks to run on uh, each day. It's, it's broken into five days a week so you got two days off um, but hopefully you don't take two days off from God. But uh, five days for you to sit Um, It's written, hopefully, in such a way that if you've only got 15 minutes, you can do this, okay? Now, if you've got more, then you'll get more, you know, you'll lean more into it. But um, just, yeah, just 15 minutes just to sit and be with God. Let his word speak to you. So, you can see on the first page, it's kind of got a sense the contents, kind of where we're going uh, for this 10-week session, and uh, this session, we're in Exodus 1 through 15, and the subtitle is, This is Our God. Because really, Exodus 1 through 15 is just going to put God on display. And we're going to see who God is. And I'm going to tell you this, God is going to be um, complicated at times. <laughs> He's going to disturb you at times. When I was preparing for this, I was like, oh my word, God, who are you? <laughs> um, There's going to be things that you're going to love about God. You're going to love his power, and you're going to love um, who he is as our creator. But there's going to be things that you're like, I don't know what to do with this. But our aim is not to indoctrinate ourselves in some kind of God that we want to make up. Our desire is not to, to make a God who looks like us to have a God that fits all of our parameters. But what we want to know is, who is God? If there is a God, who is he? What's he like? And who is he truly? And so we're going to discover him as we dive into Exodus this session. Next session we're going to do, uh, we'll probably call it something like Lessons from the Wilderness, but we'll get super practical and talk about things that uh, the Israelites, when they left Egypt, um, what they learned wandering, and uh, we're all learning things in our wanderings, too, so that'll be fun the next session, but, uh, so there's some introductory material, and then on page um, 11, you kind of see, um, I think it's page 11, yeah, you see uh, the first, you're your, your basically your homework, if you want to call it that, for this coming week, um, and then page 9 is a place for you to take notes right now on me, so... Uh, so that's, that's. Uh, you can turn to page nine, and it's just a space for you to take notes if you're a note taker, and we're going to dive into... Exodus chapter 1 and 2 if you have a Bible you can turn to Exodus chapter 1 if you don't have a Bible um, in the future don't worry about it right now but we have Bibles out in the lobby you can grab one it can be your own you can put your name in it call it your own take it home if you come and you forget your Bible uh, you can grab one and then put it back that kind of thing so um, but we will be in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 this morning let me pray and uh, we'll dive in you can turn there Father God, so thankful that you give us your word, that you give us your spoken word, that you speak to us through your spirit and through your presence, and you give us your written word that gives us confidence that we're really hearing from you, gives us confidence of who you are and what you want to say. And so we want to dive into the Bible And learn from you this morning, Father. Would your spirit come and teach us, instruct us, open our eyes wide to what you want us to hear this morning. Thank you. Thank you for the scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the book of Exodus because the book of Exodus is one of the significant books of the Bible. Um, I think it's one of the most quoted books in the New Testament because the book of Exodus is basically this visual display of the Christian gospel. The book of Exodus is the historical account of the Israelites who've been in Egypt and they've been put into slavery and they've been put into oppression and they need to be rescued. And if you were with us last year, last session of Bible study when we were in Romans, you know that we live in oppression that we have an enemy. I believe in demons. I believe in the spiritual world. I believe in all of that. And I, you can call me crazy, but I do believe in all of it. And I believe that we have an enemy. And that enemy wants us to be oppressed. And that enemy wants to bring about death. And that enemy wants us to feel enslaved and get us stuck in sin and to be enslaved to sin. And we need a rescue. And so Exodus puts that on display. How does God rescue? What does God do? And that's why we're in this book, because it's the story of God. It's the story of his grace. It's the story of his rescue. And I believe that the story of the Israelites is going to intersect with our story. And our story is going to intersect with their story. So let's jump in to Exodus chapter four. One, this is kind of a little Bible geek nerdy thing that I love about this. Um, Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. It falls in what was called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Um, and tradition uh, would say that Moses wrote most of these books, most of the pieces. Probably didn't write the things of his death, but wrote and compiled them, the books of Moses. So when you hear Jesus say, Moses spoke of me. Moses was telling you that I was coming. Moses, go back to Moses. He's referring to what was called the Torah, those first five books. And so they all connect together. Really, Deuteronomy and Numbers are kind of commentaries on Exodus. And so the first word in Exodus um, in the Hebrew, you don't see it in your English translation, is the word and. And, because basically the author is ending Genesis, and at the end of Genesis it talks about Joseph's death and the fact that he's going to want his bones carried out of Egypt because he's predicting what's going to happen in this. Anyway, and so the author is now saying, and, moving right into this book. So, verse 1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Nephtali, Don't pick that name for your kid. Gad and Asher. That's a cool name. Um, and the, descend- the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. That's significant. There's 70 of them. There's not a whole lot of them in this, in this family with all those kids, right? Joseph, also one of the family, is already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died but the israelites were exceedingly fruitful they multiplied greatly they increased in numbers and they became so numerous that the land was filled with them now if you're familiar with the bible if you're not familiar that's totally fine i remember when i first came in if i had no i was like i had nothing about this thing and people are quoting it like they know it but if you're familiar with the bible you are hearing in this language that they were fruitful, that they multiplied greatly, that they increased in numbers, you're hearing Genesis chapter 1. You're hearing, you're hearing what God had said in Genesis chapter 1 is the purpose of humanity. The purpose of humanity is to be fruitful and multiply. And what he was meant by that is not just give birth and have kids. It was be fruitful as an image bearer of God and multiply yourself all over the world so that God, his image, because that's we're all made in the image of God, that his image is everywhere. That's how you glorify him. And so this the author is purposely using this language of, guess what? The Israelites were fruitful. And they did multiply. There had only been 70 of them, but now there were more than you could even count. They had filled the earth. And and, and in that, you're starting to hear the language of Genesis chapter 12, where God had created a covenant relationship with Abraham, the first of what we call the Israelites. God had created this covenant relationship with Abraham, and God had said to Abraham, he had promised him, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And what's that like? So he said, I'm going to make you a great nation to Abraham. And then Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? So then we have Jacob, and Jacob's the father of all these guys who go into um, Egypt, and there's only 70 of them. And I'm sure they're like, well, this is a great nation. It's a really tiny nation. It's the Rhode Island of nations. (laughs) Right? They're thinking, God said we're going to become a great nation. And there's only 70 of us. But what we're seeing here in Exodus is this promise is being fulfilled. God is a promise-keeping God, and and we're going to see that later in this study. But this promise of this great nation is is being fulfilled, and God is going to build them into a nation. Actually, the book of Exodus, after we get wandering into the wilderness, we're going to see that God starts to help this people figure out how to be a nation under God. How do we live as God's people? How are we his nation? But anyway, so this, this... this nation is forming, if you will. They're great. They're numerous. But, verse 8, then a new king, this is great. We're never going to hear his name. New king, it's interchangeable pharaoh, king, pharaoh, king, that same person. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. I love that line. (laughs) Came to power in Egypt. Because remember, Joseph had been actually kind of right-hand guy to the former the king the former pharaoh and now there's a new king and his king could care less doesn't know anything about joseph right And he said, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they're going to join our enemies and they're going to fight against us and they're going to leave the country. Now, here's something that this author is wanting us to, I think, ask at this point. We're like, what, nine verses in? And here's the question. Where is God? Where is God? These are his people. They've multiplied greatly. And now we've got a king who's forgotten Joseph, doesn't care, and wants to oppress these people. Nine verses in. I don't know how far in you are, but I bet a lot of us in this room have this question. Where is God? You've got something right now in your life. You might be nine weeks in, you might be nine months in, you might be nine years in, you might be 90 years in, I don't know. Where is God? Where is God? Verse 11, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built these places as store cities for Pharaoh. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of works in the field. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians work them ruthlessly. If you're an Israelite, or it's interchangeable in this book, Israelite, Hebrew, where is God? But it's my question too, right? There's things in my life right now. Where is God? Where's he going to show up? Is he going to show up? Will he show up? I've been praying the same thing for years. Will he show up? Where is God? Where is God? You have that thing. And the author is okay with you asking that question. Where is God? Verse 17. He's going to start to show up. Verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God, right? Oh, I skipped. I got to go here. 15, because this is even more important. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shipra and Pua, and this is awesome. These are the, we don't know, ever know the king, but we know these midwives. We know their names, right? That's strong, right? That pharaoh, we don't know who he is, but these ladies, we got their names in all of history. Shipra and Pua, love it. King says to them, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Okay, so again, where's God, right? But he's going to start showing up because the midwives, however, feared God. There he is, feared by these women. And that language of fear in the scripture, when it talks about fearing God, we're actually going to talk about the difference uh, between being afraid of God and fearing God in, in a week or so. But these women feared God, and what that means is it's not like they were afraid of God. It means that they had great reverence for God. They understood who God was. They understood at the end of the day, God was in charge. They understood at the end of the day, they came under God, and they feared him. They were in awe of him. They had reverence for him. They had respect for him. We've lost some of that in our culture, right? We've made Jesus our homeboy, and God's our buddy, and our daddy, and all these kind of things, and he is our daddy, and all that, but there is a reverence There is an awe. There is the sense of God is greater than the king. God is greater than our political leaders. And so we fear him. Right. I love it that in this moment, it wasn't that powerful seat of power of the pharaoh But it was these two women who were at the very bottom of the social ladder, right? These two women who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic level. Two women who are midwives, probably because they couldn't have families of their own, which put them at a really low standard, right? And at this point, I have to believe that probably... Nobody was looking for God to show up in two midwives. You ever feel that? When you're wondering, where are you? Where is God? And where are we looking for him? I'm looking for somebody in power to change whatever it is that I want changed. I'm not looking at midwives. But that's how our God works. The midwives, however, they feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Yes. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and he asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And I love this. I love their response. The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, these ladies are strong. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous. And they get birth before the midwives even arrive. You know, your women are kind of wussy. Our women, they're pretty strong. And so we get there, and the baby's already been born. So then (laughs) it says this, verse 20, and here's God. Here's our God. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous and because the midwives feared God he gave them families of their own then pharaoh gave this order to all his people he's like if, that, if the midwives aren't going to work for us he said every hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the nile but let every girl live he's going to work around the midwives but god's going to work around his work around right because he basically tells them throw them into the Nile and so some midwives helped a woman I think that's what he's telling us here he's setting this up helped a Hebrew woman give birth to a son and that woman put her son in the Nile and you've seen the movie so I don't have to unpack all of this but that little baby who got put into the Nile we know to be Moses right we know to be the one who would ultimately rescue and save the Hebrew people from this oppression in Egypt. This Hebrew boy was put into the Nile and then Pharaoh's daughter, (laughs) her people see this little baby and she ends up raising Moses within the Pharaoh's court. And that's another story that we're going to get into as we go. But there's two things that I just want to land on uh, before we go to our groups. Two things that I want to emphasize. The first is this that I've already kind of mentioned. It's that we have a God. This is our God. We have a God who shows up through the least expected people, places, and circumstances. He might be showing up right now in places and people that you never, ever would even think to look to. You would never consider that a part of God's plan. And this is what's such good news, (laughs) that we have a God who shows up in the lowest place sometimes. We have a God who uses the weak, and that tells me he can use me and he might be showing up in you for somebody else right i love this in first corinthians paul says this he says brothers and sisters think what you were when you were called and he's basically saying think about who you were when you came to faith in christ Think about who you were when God came after you, when God grabbed hold of you. Who were you? Were you the smartest person in the room? Were you the one who understood all the things of God? Were you the holy person? Were you the really good one? So that's why God picked you? No, Paul says this. (laughs) He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You guys, we live in a city that somehow we keep thinking as as the Christian community keeps thinking, oh, if that famous person would come to faith in Christ. If that influential person would, would just say praise God at the end of their game, if that person would speak to Jesus. We get so excited when some celebrity or somebody comes to faith in Christ. Well, I'm thankful for anyone to come to a living, alive relationship with Jesus, but we don't need them to come to faith in Christ for Christ to be lifted up, because this is where Christ gets lifted up. Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And this is going to be a theme in Exodus. God is going to be a God, that we're going to see him as a God who wants glory, wants us to depend upon him, wants us to boast in him. You may not like that, but that's our God because he's the only one worthy of our boasting, the only one worthy of our praise. And that's what Paul is saying. God has an agenda where he wants to put his power on display. And that's why he chooses the weak things, that he shows up. He says it's because of him, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. It is not because of you. It is not because you were so good. It's not because you grew up in a Christian home. It's not because you're religious. If you are in Christ Jesus, it is only because God's grace came after you and you let yourself surrender to it. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom for, from God. That is, Jesus is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Our God shows up in places and people that we have never would expect. Don't miss them. One of the saddest things, I think, in the New Testament is when God shows up in Jesus and so many people missed him. We'll talk about that. The second thing I want us to take away from this Is that God shows up in His time for His purposes. And we don't like that. I don't like that. But it is true, and we're going to see it over and over again in Exodus that He's going to show up in His timing for his purposes. Actually, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it's at the end of this section where, again, I think the author is kind of guiding us along and wanting us to ask ask the question, where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And then in verse 23 of chapter 2, he says, during that long period, this had been hundreds of years in Egypt, after this long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for help, uh, and they cried for help because of their slave uh, their cries for help because of their slavery went up to God. And then verse 24: This is our God. This is our God. God heard their groanings. He is a God who hears. And the author wants his audience to know this because this is a, a land and a culture with lots of gods. And a lot of these gods are not gods who listen. These are not gods who hear. These are not gods who necessarily can have ears, if you will. He wants us to know God heard this God. He heard their groaning and he remembered, which is he remembered his covenant, which basically he was he was going to be faithful to his covenant he's going to be faithful to his promise he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so God looked God sees this is a God who sees he looked on the Israelites and he was concerned for them the word there doesn't even capture the Hebrew words are so richer but he he had compassion for them He felt with them. This is our God. He hears, he sees, he's concerned. This is our God who uses two midwives to save a baby, who will become a man, who will save a nation from the oppression of Egypt. And when will that man show up? Remember, Moses comes back, and we're going to see this, He's 80 years old. Not my time. <laughs> Not my purpose. Not the way I would do it. The good news is your best days are ahead of you. <laughs> but God shows up in his time for his purposes. And I ha- have to think about Jesus, who was a baby who was also saved from a genocide. And his family actually went to Egypt, (laughs) interesting, to be saved from this genocide of baby boys, and actually all boys being killed. Jesus, the long-awaited king. Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting for Messiah. And again, it's so sad because he comes, and some of them missed him. God becoming a man born into the social status of a midwife, really. Jesus did not come in power. He did not come in prestige. He did not come at the highest socioeconomic level. He came into a family that was probably fairly poor, again, in that social standing of the midwives. And he was a baby and he grew. And it took 30 years before Jesus began his public ministry. And then he came for the same reason that Moses came. He came to rescue people. He came to make it possible for us to be set free. And he's setting us free from something that has eternal consequence. He's setting us free from sin. He's setting us free from shame. And the interesting thing about Jesus' victory for us, it looked like utter defeat. It looked like a crucifixion. It looked bloody. It looked like death. Nobody was looking for a resurrection. Nobody was looking for this to be the way that the Messiah would save them. Nobody was looking for a midwife. Nobody was looking for a Savior to do it this way. I do not understand the ways of God. I do not understand the timing of God. I wish I did. I wish his timing were my timing. Peter said it this way in his book. He said, but do not forget this one thing. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not to not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't know his purposes. I can't see the end of the story. I don't understand his timing. There are things in my life right now that I am crying out, Where are you, God? And it seems in my mind, He could do this quicker. He could do this in an instant. I just don't know. But I do know this, like even what Peter is saying God is up to something, He's doing His work. Where is God? Where is God? He's here. He's here. And this is why I love the beautiful words of the Bible. Words that say things like this. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in them, would have eternal life. He sent his son to come. Where is God? He's Jesus. John chapter 1, God became flesh and he dwelt among us. He's Jesus. uh, Hebrews chapter 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have Jesus who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne, with, throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God is here. God has come. He is in Christ. And Christ is with us, and he is present. And Jesus says, and now I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to just be with you. I'm going to be in you. Where is God? If you are in Christ, Christ is in you. God has shown up, and he will show up. And as I wait for him to show up in the ways I want him to show up, the big thing, and we all have some big things where we want him to show up. As I wait, I want to understand. (laughs) I want to understand that his ways are not my ways. His timing is not my timing. And I want to receive him. I want to receive him in the waiting It's not that I don't want him to do the things I want him to do, I do. But I want him. I want his presence. I want his spirit waiting with me. I want his ears listening to me. I want him seeing me, and he does. I want him concerned for me, and he is. I want his beauty that is worthy of my life. I want his wisdom that sees the whole picture, and I don't see the whole picture, and I don't understand all that he's working because he has this eternal perspective, and I want that eternal perspective. I want his worthiness that goes beyond this temporal world. I want him. Where is God? He is a mystery and I don't understand him and he confuses me and he confounds me and he frustrates me at times. But he is here. And he sees you. And he hears you. And he's going to have his way with you and he's going to have his way with me. That he might become the ultimate object of our affection. Not just our Santa Claus, not just our Pez dispenser, our Coke machine, giving us what we want when we want it, but our God. He is here. And if you are in Christ, He is in you. So Lord, we say, We do want you to show up big in so many things, and we're going to keep bringing them to you. We're going to keep saying, show up, show up, have your way, do your work. We will battle against the enemy for the things that we believe are near to your heart. But as we wait, we will say, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for being with me and in me. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.